I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of the season of Lent, that period of penance that leads us into the Easter season. And uh, it's the day that we go, we go to Mass, and we receive the ashes on our forehead. And these ashes remind us of our own mortality. The ashes, they come from the palms from Palm Sunday last year. Uh, we take those palms and we we burn them. The, the, the glory of yesterday is uh, the reminder of the frailty of today. And so we receive the, these ashes on our on our foreheads for a number of reasons. Uh, scripture, we see sackcloth and ashes as being a, a symbol of humility and of, of fasting and of repentance. Uh, and so sackcloth and ashes were those things that were outward signs of the fast. Now, we also put the ashes on our forehead to remember the, the futility and the fleeting nature of life. Like the psalmist says, uh, the, the grass springs up today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire. Uh, the, the flower springs up today and tomorrow withers. That life is fleeting. In fact, when we receive the imposition of the ashes from the priest or the deacon, we hear those words, uh, either repent and believe in the gospel, or remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, this isn't something to say like uh, you're you're the scum of the earth or you're just you're nothing. What it means is that we we were created by God out of the the dirt of the ground, right? Uh, he formed Adam and he, out of the out of the the mud, out of the dirt of the ground. In fact, the word Adam means man from the red earth in Hebrew. Uh, so we come from the ground, and of course, when we die, our bodies uh, decompose and they. Go back into the ground. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This, uh, this isn't so much to make you feel bad as to remind you that this life is emptiness if it is not filled with the life of God. This life is emptiness if we are not uh, really revived in our spirits by the Holy Spirit of God. This life is meaningless, as the writer of Ecclesiastes would say, without God being present and in the middle of all of our decisions and all of our direction. Lent is a wonderful time for us to step back and take a, a strong look at the craziness of our life, because life left to its own can get really packed full. Uh, kind of like a refrigerator, honestly, specifically a refrigerator in my house. Uh, if you don't attend to it, if you don't Get in there every once in a while and clear out the leftovers and the things that uh, that are unimportant or are no longer nutritious or are no longer good. If you don't go in and uh, and evaluate what you have filled it with, a couple of things are going to happen. One, you're going to end up with some rotten stuff. Second, uh, not only are are the things that are old going to be rotten, but they are going to putrefy. Everything else, everything else in there is going to be affected by the rotting of the things that are no good, right? And so uh, all the things that are in the refrigerator 
are going to end up bad and you're going to get a stench and you're going to get things that are unpleasant if you don't go through every once in a while, examine it, look at what's still good and pull out the rest. And this is what Lent is for. Lent is for opening the refrigerator of our soul, of our life, of our calendar, and looking at it and saying, what are the things that are in here that may have been good once, but are no longer beneficial to my life, to my calendar, to my schedule? They're taking up space that could be used for something else, and they are bringing stench and, and, uh, and bacteria and, and uh, decay into everything else. So let's take a look as we uh, as we start this season of Lent on Wednesday. Let's take a look at our lives. What do I have in my life that is standing between me and intimacy with God? Lots of good things in life. There are uh, uh, activities and uh, galore. I think of of parents that I know who uh, their children are involved in a multitude of things. Uh, that are all good, uh, and yet the li- their lives are so packed they feel like they never have time to come up for air. And this is not what God has called us to. He's not called us to be so jam-packed that we can't see the forest for the trees. So Lent gives us a great opportunity to thin things out and look at what really matters. I remember a time uh, that I fasted inadvertently. It was uh, it was a time that I, I got an, was getting paid every two weeks instead of twice a month at this new place, and all of a sudden there was an extra paycheck, and I, I up until that point I didn't know how I was ever going to purchase an engagement ring, but that came through and and I saw it and it was the amount that I needed and I knew that another paycheck was coming so I'd be able to pay my bills and so I went out and like the man who sold everything and bought the field I went and I I bought the engagement ring. And, uh, and then the realization hit me, I still have to eat for the next two weeks, but it was too late. I had purchased this ring. And so every time I felt that hunger because I didn't have enough money to go and get food, uh, I didn't get upset. I didn't really feel down. Uh, rather that hunger elicited in me an excitement because I remembered the joy, uh, and the reason that I wasn't eating. And this is what God calls us to as we enter into the Lenten fast is that the the hunger that we have from that appetite being denied, whether it be food or some other thing, the, the, the pangs that we have out of that hunger remind us, not, oh man, I gave that thing up, but it reminds us of the intimacy with God that we are striving for, the holiness that we are striving for as we seek something better than the good thing we gave up. When we come back, we're going to talk with Andrew Kassad about the season of Lent and how to make the most of it in our practice. Talk a little bit about the history of where it came from and how you and I can experience it again for the first time. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on daily life. I'm your host, 
TL, and we're coming into the Lenten season on Wednesday. We go. Uh, it's a first of all Wednesday's Ash Wednesday. It's uh, it's a day that we go to mass. It's not a day of holy obligation, although a lot of people think that it is. But it is a uh, a day of fasting and abstinence. It's a, the day that we enter into this penitential season and a season with a purpose. A purpose we're going to talk about today with our guest. Andrew Kassad is the, the steward for Christian initiation and matrimony at St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Timothy. Thanks for the invitation. So um, you have a, a, a role and a job and a, a ministry that centers in large part around Lent and, and what follows immediately after Lent, which of course is the, uh, the Triduum and the Easter Vigil. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how we uh, can can live a good Lent, how we can practice a good Lent and have it form our faith in uh, in a substantial way uh, this year and, and every year thereafter. Yeah, I think one of the things that really excites me about Lent um, is this idea that the practices that we observe during Lent, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, really began as the preparation for those who were making their final uh, anticipation of Christian initiation at the Great Easter Vigil. And so we sometimes, I think, kind of default or act as if um, Lent has all these wonderful things, and so we as Catholics do these wonderful things, and we invite those who are preparing to become Christian uh, through, for example, the RCIA to come along with us. But we forget, perhaps, that their experience of preparing for and entering into a deeper participation in the Christian mysteries was so profound that the Church held on to that and said, that experience of converting to Christ is something that all of us ought to do annually uh, through our annual observance of Lent. And so the, the, the rite of Christian initiation of adults specifically calls this period of Lent, or the quadragissima, the 40 days, the lengthening days, uh, the time of purification and enlightenment. And it kind of takes its name from a series of rites that unfold uh, throughout the 40 days, beginning on the first Sunday of Lent with the rite of election, when the bishop declares uh, that the catechumens who have been found worthy by those who have accompanied them to be chosen or elected for the Easter sacraments as they then enroll their name in the book of the elect. And then throughout the uh, particular Sundays of Lent, the second Sunday of Lent, with its focus on the transfiguration, ascending up into the heights, the mysteries that await us when we are reborn in Christ, and the third, fourth, and fifth Sundays of Lent and its experience of being scrutinized, being examined like Christ being tested in the desert, uh, the, the catechumens or the elect more properly have this really deep sense of being purified, being stripped away of anything that would prevent them from entering into Christ's mystery and being enlightened, being shown the glory of the transfiguration in which they desire to participate. And we, the faithful, are invited not only to kind of look at them doing that, but we are invited, uh, beginning as it does on Ash Wednesday, to repent, to turn again, to metanoia and believe in the gospel, to convert ourselves towards Christ throughout the whole of these 40 days. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I look at the um, the idea of these these three pillars: uh, the prayer and the fasting and the almsgiving, and, and uh, I see this um, 
almost divestiture, right? I'm, I'm divesting myself of the world. I'm divesting myself of my, of my own appetites even. And I, th- I think even in this fast of saying, what things are, <clears throat> do I have in my life that I don't absolutely need as a, as a, um, a sense of, uh, of necessity. I, you know, I need food to live and yet do I need the kind of food and the kind of fare that I've been engaging in or, or can I, by divesting myself of these things, really come to understand and to know who it is and what it is that really does sustain me? And so it's this this period of almost uh, exploring my own preconceptions and and shining the light of of the gospel on my preconceptions and on my appetites and really seeing the um, the emptiness of those things that most of the time I cling to so dearly as if without them, I would surely perish. Yeah, the monastic tradition uh, understands the whole of the monastic life, this this life of asceticism, as basically a prolonged Lent. And so the experience that some of us only have uh, during these 40 days of Great Lent of uh, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving is something that the monastic tradition says, this is what we do all the time. Uh, it's a period of self-mastery. It's a period of asceticism. It's a period of setting aside things that aren't bad. They're, they're things that are good, but they're things that perhaps inure us from being able to enter into the fullness of the mystery that God holds or opens up for us in participation in him. And so there's this great opportunity uh, each year during this period of Lent to, as you said, to examine what do I really need well, I need the Word of God. What do I really need? Well, I need God in my life. What are the other things that I have in my life? And can I learn to recognize them as blessing, but as things that are perhaps non-essential for my relationship with one another and with God? To put it in modern terms, um, perhaps Lent is uh, the tidying up Marie Kondo style of our spiritual life, looking at the things and saying, what what are the things that truly bring me a substantial joy? And what are the things that just clutter up my, my life and my calendar and my spiritual life and prevent me from experiencing the fullness of joy that, that God wants to give me? Yeah, I mean, it, it really is this great, uh, this great period of self-emptying, of kenosis, adopting the posture that Christ adopted on the cross of letting go um, and in so doing, allowing us to be filled up with divinity, uh, but by emptying ourselves of the things that busy us and uh, keep us distracted from entering into the fullness of life, the joy of life that Christ desires for us. And so, yeah, I mean, to some extent, you know, like in that Marie Kondo style, we we lift up each item and say, does this bring me ultimate joy? Is this what my life really and truly is about? And it's not to look at some object and say, this is bad, or this is evil, or this needs to be um, discarded for me or even for someone else, but to say, is this the thing that my life ought to be oriented around? Mm -hmm. And if not, is there perhaps something more profound around which I ought to be able to orient my life? Yeah. We're talking today with Andrew Kassad, steward of Christian initiation for St. Michael Parish in Olympia. Um, So talk to me, You, you make it a habit year after year as part of your work to accompany these people who are coming to uh, to ex- explore the claims of the Catholic Church, to look and see if maybe they have uh, a, a place of belonging in the Catholic Church. Talk to me about 
how you your experience of Lent and your parish's experience of Lent has been enriched through the process of accompanying these people on their journey. I've often said that just as a marriage has as its crowning glory the gift of children that God may impart to it, the gift of parish, the meaning of parish, has as its crowning glory the birthing of new Christians uh, through the period of, uh, through the experience of disciple making through the catechumenate. And so uh, the RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation of Adults, describes as the high point of the church's care and concern for those persons who are being formed in the Christian life, the right of election. Um, and the right of election takes place on or in many places near uh, the, the first Sunday of Lent. And the first Sunday of Lent, every year in the liturgical calendar, in the lectionary, uh, going back to really the earliest of days of the Roman calendar, or the Roman lectionary, tells the story of Jesus being driven into the desert his temptation, his three temptations that he undergoes, and how he remains faithful to his ultimate mission. And this in many ways kind of prefigures the experience that the elect are going to have uh, that during their, their, their scrutinies and their presentations that they participate in during the Lenten season. And what it does is I think is it kind of mirrors back to us who are the already faithful in the pews or in the church, that we have a great gift that we have received, and we're invited to commit anew to what it is that we participate in through our death and resurrection in baptism, that our experience of being a Christian disciple is predicated on having a relationship with Christ and a rejection of evil and reliance on him uh, throughout the, the whole of our lives. In kind of an intense way, we see that. Uh, during the Lenten season. There was a project that I uh, did a number of years ago where uh, I interviewed uh, on video uh, the elect or the catechumens after each of the principal rites that marked their celebration. So the rite of election and the three scrutinies and the two presentations that uh, shape and form this period of purification and enlightenment or Lent for them. And what it really kind of awakened for me was that not only is there a historical significance that the readings and the prayer texts that the church puts in front of all of us uh, during these 40 days are there because of the presence of those persons who have freely chosen to enter into a relationship with Christ, but that experience that they have of leaving behind a former way of life and entering into a new life, being freely converted to Christ is something that the church desires for all of us to be aware of and to participate in. And so there's this great kind of drama that unfolds over the the, the Sundays of Lent, where on the first Sunday of Lent, uh, Jesus is driven into the desert, uh, and the elect are quite literally driven someplace far, far away. Uh, They may go and participate in the right of election at the cathedral church, which is the anticipation of the church, or at least at a principal church within the deanery that they're in. And there the bishop says, have they been found worthy? Have they listened to the word of God? Have they spent time with the company of Christians? And their sponsors give testimony on their behalf and say they have, they have, they have. And this kind of threefold um, statement that the elect or that the soon-to-be elect have 
found their hope, their trust in Christ, mirrors the three uh, testings that Christ himself endures when he's in the desert. And then on the second Sunday of Lent, we have this, uh, to some extent, kind of ritual anomaly. And it struck me at one point when I was um, young and energetic and trying to figure out, oh, what should I do for the elect on this second Sunday of Lent? Is wow, the church doesn't give us something to do on the second Sunday of Lent. I wonder what that oversight came from. Um, And as I probed more deeply into it on the second Sunday of Lent, Regardless of lectionary cycle, if we look at years A, B, and C, as well as the propers within the liturgy, the church focuses on the transfiguration of Christ, taking his beloved up onto Mount Tabor. He reveals to them in this kind of typological prefiguration what it is that he is going to participate in, and by extension, revealing to the elect what it is that they are going to participate in, that their glory is going to happen through their participation in the death and resurrection of Christ. We're talking today with Andrew Kassad, steward of Christian initiation at St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington. We're talking about the season of Lent, the purpose of Lent, and how you and I can experience it more profoundly this year. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Talk to me about what you are planning to do this Lent. And don't go anywhere because there's more to my conversation with Andrew Kassad right after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls where we explore the implication of our belief. On our daily life, I'm your host, TL, and we're talking about this Lenten process, the Lenten uh, fast, and the purpose of Lent. Uh, to co- to have that conversation, we're talking with Andrew Kassad, who is the, the steward for Christian initiation for St. Michael's Parish in Olympia, Washington. And uh, Andrew, when before the break, we were talking about this process. We started on the first Sunday of Lent with the rite of election. Now you have moved us to the second Sunday of Lent, where we all uh, experience the transfiguration of the Lord, where we sit there and with the disciples see that Jesus is more than mere man. We see him glorified uh, before his death, before his resurrection. We see him uh, conversing with Moses and Elijah. And now we, we see that we're being brought into that, that Christ doing this is, is showing us what we're going to have a participation in, and this brings up a topic that um, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, and that's the idea of uh, divinization. St. Athanasius said that God became man so that man might become God. Somehow, in some way, without changing the fact that I am a creature made by God and, and created, am called to share in the divine life and the divine nature of God in a way that I still can't wrap my head around. And Lent is the process by which we first enter into that sharing. So talk to us a little bit, if uh, if you can, about your understanding, kind of unpack divinization for us, and then continue on through this journey of Lent, uh, taking us with the catechumens on that process. Yeah, so this experience that we have, um, all of us on the second Sunday of Lent, of seeing Christ transfigured, seeing him in his glory, his glorification, And like Peter saying, Lord, 
man, it's good that we're here. Can't we just stay here? Can't we just build the tent? Um, but Jesus is saying, no, I, I need you to come down from the height and to walk with me. Because in walking with me through this period of self-emptying, you will be able, not through your own merits, not through your own accomplishments, but through my grace to be able to be so completely emptied that you can enter into what I desire for you. And that is for me to remake you, to conform you perfectly, fully to the image and likeness of God who has taken on human flesh. We hear every time, or at least we maybe don't hear it, but we um, hear in our mind's eye, to, to, to use a, a, a different image there, we hear in our mind's eye uh, that image from Athanasius of divinization or theosis, uh, when the deacon or the priest mingles together uh, the, the water with the wine, that by Christ's humility, he allows our humanity to be poured into his divinity. And that doesn't in any way diminish or dilute his divinity, but our humanity is absorbed into or takes on the character of uh, his divinity. Not because, we were, not because we're worthy of it or not, certainly not because we've earned it, but because of the graciousness and mercy of God. And the period or the experience that the elect and by extension all of us have during the Lenten season of purification, of letting go, making ourselves clean, uh, purification and enlightenment uh, throughout the Lenten season is really kind of marked by these three uh, scrutinies. The, the first scrutiny that uses as its uh, kind of prodding text, if you will, the woman at the well, and the second uh, scrutiny of the man born blind, or as one of my catechumens once renamed it, I think more accurately, the man who now can see by the grace of God, um, and the third scrutiny of the raising of Lazarus. Each of these kind of confront different dimensions of those things that stand in the way of our letting go so that Christ can infill our deficiency. And so in the first scrutiny, we all take on uh, this capacity to let go of personal sin. In the second scrutiny, we all take on this capacity to let go of our capacity for social and institutional sin. In the third and final scrutiny, we all take on and let go of this sense of kind of Job-like ontological evil of why is there anything wrong if God is fully good? And we submit to the grace of God in this. And the scrutinies frequently take on this formula of Lord have mercy, naming all these sins. Christ have mercy, naming all these sins. Lord have mercy, naming all these sins. So that each of us, the church kind of intends, here each and every Sunday throughout the whole of the entire year in the penitential act that we say at the beginning of the Mass, that same sense of, Lord, I lay everything before you. I lay my personal sin, I lay my social sin, and I lay the brokenness of the ontological reality of being a human being before you. And I say, you have mercy on this. Yeah. You have mercy on this. You have mercy on this. And it's only in that complete self-emptying that we're in a posture that allows the glory of God to radiate within us or to kind of theosophize, if I can make up a word, uh, <laughs> the, the mere humanity that we are. Yeah, we're talking today with Andrew Kassad, steward of Christian initiation at St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about we who uh, have have walked through many Lents, 
Uh, we've been in the church. <clears throat> For me, I, I'm a convert, so uh, there was a time that I didn't experience this, but now I'm kind of getting to the place where it's old hat. Uh, there are plenty of people who have lived their whole life as Catholics, and they've never experienced uh, a, a, a Lenten fast as a catechumen because they were baptized as a child. They've been some in some way initiated from the earliest days of their life. So how now can we um, take this call to holiness that, that's presented to us, this repent and believe in the gospel, uh, and take this call, as St. Benedict talks about, the, the constant call to conversion, and experience this Lent, this year, uh, in a way that uh, maybe calls back to that idea or, or gives us a fresh experience as if it was our first time? The fundamental question we have to ask is, why did God put me right here, right now? And where is he pushing me beyond my comfort zone with this? Um, for a catechumen or for an elect, maybe it's relatively easy for them to answer the question, where is he pushing me? Well, he's pushing me into the baptismal font. Um, for someone who's facing a difficult you know, life challenge or a difficult life, quest, life uh, question, where is he pushing me? Is he pushing me to make this vocational decision or not? Is he pushing me to make this um, commitment to him or not? But for those of us who have uh, participated for quite some time in the Christian life, it may be a difficult discernment to figure out where am I and where is God pushing me into this? One of the principles of good liturgy or good kind of theology, if you will, derivative of the liturgy, is that the liturgy precedes what we believe. And so there are many times, I would say quite frequently, when we don't know what we're supposed to do or where we're being called to do, but the liturgy itself calls us to participate in it. And through that participation in the liturgy, God opens up to us a window of where we're going to go or disposes us to hear his voice in a particular way. Uh, so one of the great practices that the monastic tradition, invoking that again, uh, that the monastic tradition proposes during the Lenten season is that a spiritual superior, the, the librarian or the abbot, gives to each member of the monastic community a spiritual work that they are to read, a spiritual writing that they are to read uh, that throughout the period of Lent. And so for those of us who perhaps find ourselves wondering what am I supposed to do this Lent? I'm not becoming Christian or deciding if I'm supposed to be a priest or discerning if I'm supposed to get married. Um, maybe not facing these big life questions. Maybe what we're supposed to do is to be open to receiving a difficult text that we read and that we ponder and that we receive that as a gift from God who is probing us, pushing us, scrutinizing us to move on to a new way of being in relationship with him and what that means for you, what that means for me, what that means for each of our spouses. I don't know. Um, but that's something that we hold open as a possibility uh, during this period of Lent and that we want to celebrate and rejoice when we come to the great Easter. Yeah, I'm going to put you on the spot now. I want you to give me one or two spiritual works that were challenging in your life that you think might be beneficial in the life of someone else? When I was ministering as a steward for liturgy and catechumenate 
at a parish in North Carolina, I would go down and visit a Trappist community in South Carolina, the Mebkin Abbey outside of Charleston. And each year I would bring along with me kind of one theological text and one kind of novel or something that I had been meaning to get to. And one kind of like purely spiritual text that was difficult uh, to, to, to wrestle with. And one that really helped to reshape me uh, was a text called Passing from Self to God uh, that, that came out of the Cistercian tradition. It was a series of retreats that had been preached uh, to, to, the, uh, to, to the Trappist community at Gethsemane. Um, and so what I did with that was to try to read one text a day uh, a one conference a day that had been given to the uh, to, to the Trappist community uh, a number of years ago, and then then was printed. Um, for me, that often kind of resulted in like, wow, that was hard. I'm not sure that I'm the kind of person who can enter into that. Um, how can I revisit that? And so, so I spent a lot of time kind of chewing on those. I also found uh, during those times that I was making a Lenten retreat um, and allowing myself to be immersed into kind of a retreat experience, that it was a prime time to, as a baptized person, enter into the scrutinies, enter into Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, and do a deep examination of conscience and to make a kind of whole year confession, um, not in the sense of like I hadn't done the sacrament of reconciliation in a year, but to kind of pause and do a deep examination. And so I kind of adopted or was given, I'd, I'm not entirely sure of the language I'd want to use there, uh, this practice of looking at a mirror and then looking at an icon of Christ that was in the room that I was staying in and looking back at the mirror and looking back at the icon of Christ and asking the Lord to reveal to me the cracks that were in my life that needed to be healed. And in his graciousness, he didn't reveal every crack. That would have been <laughs> rather overwhelming. Um, but to reveal those things that I needed to be able to bring to the sacrament of reconciliation. And so I think for those of us who are um, on the other side of the baptismal font uh, for, from the elect, what the season of Lent offers to us or invites us into is to hear in those scrutinies, to hear in those invitations into the desert, an opportunity to let go of the barriers that we've accidentally or maybe purposefully uh, set up between ourselves and Christ, yeah. and to ask the Church's sacramental graces through the ministry of the priests to overcome those and to prepare us to worthily be able to enter into uh, the Great Easter Vigil and to just rejoice as we come to the baptismal font and sign ourselves anew with that cleansing reality of rebirth in Christ and letting go of the stuff that stands in our way. We're talking today with Andrew Kassad, steward of Christian initiation at St. Michael's Parish in Olympia, Washington. There's more to my conversation with Andrew available to those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that support the show link and see how you can support the work that we do and get extra content in the process. Come over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. Tell me about what you're reading this Lent. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Today, we've been talking with Andrew Kassad. He is the steward of Christian Initiation and Matrimony for St. Michael Parish in Olympia, Washington. Uh, and he talked with us about the the origins of Lent, the, uh, the, the invitation for us to enter into it more fully, and a little bit about the things that he has found very helpful in his practice of Lent. Uh, we continue this conversation with Andrew, and that that extra segment is available to all of those who support the show through Patreon. Outside the Walls airs on three different networks on 15 stations, and it is our great privilege to be on the airwaves all across Oklahoma and in Iowa. Uh, but we receive no compensation from any of the networks or the stations that are there, and it does take resources to put the show on. Uh, we are supported solely by those people who love the work that we do, who listen faithfully, and who say, hey, we want to see this continue. They do that by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. Uh, they click on the Support the Show link, and right there are some various opportunities, various ways that you can get involved and support the show. And in gratitude, we like to give extra content to those who support the show. So go take a look and see if you might join their numbers, keep us on the air, and get some amazing content in the process. Now let's go ahead and turn our attention today as we enter into this holy, sacred, solemn season of Lent, and let's look at our reading from Scripture and from church history. Both of these readings come from Ash Wednesday. Our reading from Scripture comes from the book of 2 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, we are ambassadors for Christ. As if God were appealing through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Working together then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I heard you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. Behold, now is a very acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That reading comes to us from the book of 2 Corinthians. And I love this because uh, it reminds us, as we're here in the middle of, of all of these readings, as we're focusing on our own sinfulness, our own failures, as we hear the words of Psalm 51, uh, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Take not your Holy Spirit away from me. We're seeing the result of our sins, and here is the invitation. Here is the invitation that says today, right now, here on Ash Wednesday as we get there, but really, even today and every day, here is the acceptable time that God will hear us. Now, today, is the acceptable day of salvation. Don't put it off. Don't don't say, you know, uh, I'm going to get my life together here soon enough, and, and, and then I'll come to God, and then I'll repent, and then I'll express my contrition, or I'll go to confession, or whatever it is. Today is the day to start. Today is the acceptable day. And so I encourage you, along with Paul, be reconciled to God for the sake of God, for the sake of him who made Christ to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's that whole concept of divinization that we talked about there with, uh, with Andrew Kassad in the last segment. Let's go ahead and turn our attention now then to a reading from church history. This comes from a letter to the Corinthians again, 
but this time instead of St. Paul, St. Clement I, Pope and Martyr, is the, uh, the author of this letter. Let us fix our attention on the blood of Christ and recognize how precious it is to God his Father, since it was shed for our salvation and brought the grace of repentance to all the world. If we review the various ages of history, we will see that in every generation the Lord has offered the opportunity of repentance to any who were willing to turn to him. When Noah preached God's message of repentance, all who listened to him were saved. Jonah told the Ninevites they were going to be destroyed, but when they repented, their prayers gained God's forgiveness for their sins, and they were saved, even though they were not of God's people. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the ministers of God's grace have spoken of repentance. Indeed, the master of the whole universe himself spoke of repentance with an oath. As I live, says the Lord, I do not wish the death of the sinner, but his repentance. He added this evidence of his goodness. House of Israel, repent of your wickedness. Tell the sons of my people, if their sins should reach from earth to heaven, if they are brighter than scarlet and blacker than sackcloth, you need only turn to me with your whole heart and say, Father, and I will listen to you as a holy people. In other words, God wanted all his beloved ones to have the opportunity to repent, and he confirmed this desire by his own almighty will. That is why we should obey his sovereign and glorious will and prayerfully entreat his mercy and kindness. We should be suppliant before him and turn to his compassion, rejecting empty works and quarreling and jealousy which only lead to death. Brothers, we should be humble in mind, putting aside all arrogance, pride, and foolish anger. Rather, we should act in accordance with the Scriptures. As the Holy Spirit says, the wise man must not glory in his wisdom, nor the strong man in his strength, nor the rich man in his riches. Rather, let him who glories glory in the Lord by seeking him and doing what is right and just. Recall especially what the Lord Jesus said when he taught gentleness and forbearance. Be merciful, he said, so that you may have mercy shown to you. Forgive, so that you may be forgiven. As you treat others, so will you be treated. As you give, so will you receive. As you judge, so will you be judged. As you are kind to others, so will you be treated kindly. The measure of your giving will be the measure of your receiving. Let these commandments and precepts strengthen us to live in humble obedience to his sacred words. As Scripture asks, Whom shall I look upon with favor except the humble, peaceful man who trembles at my words? Sharing then in the heritage of so many vast and glorious achievements, let us hasten toward the goal of peace set before us from the beginning. Let us keep our eyes firmly fixed on the Father and Creator of the whole universe and hold fast to His splendid and transcendent gifts of peace and all His blessings. That reading comes from a letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement I. 
as we approach Ash Wednesday, as we approach this penitential season of Lent, the call goes out to repent. Repent and believe the gospel. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And it could be that we've heard those words so many times uh, as we approach this season year after year that uh, we become accustomed to them. They, they, uh, maybe they set us in our place in the, um, in the scope of the liturgical year. They, they bring about some uh, powerful memory, and we have this, this thought of the first time or, or of a, a significant time that we went through Lent or that we went through repentance. And, and so it can be very meaningful for us, and still we could miss it because the call is not to remind us of a repentance that we've done before, but it's to call us to this continual conversion. Uh, it's not the kind of thing, you know, we, we often have that sin that trips us up. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews says, the, the sin that so easily entangles. And we find ourselves going back to confession over and over again for that same thing. And yes, we need to repent of that, but we can get so caught up with that thing that fills our attention, that's so prominent that we can miss the other places that God is calling on us to repent. <clears throat> I think of this quote by, uh, by Fulton Sheen, who said, hearing a nun's confession is like being stoned to death with popcorn. And really, when I think about this call to repent as we enter into the season of Lent, uh, I think about what are the little things that popcorn that, uh, that might not seem like any big deal to someone else. And yet God is still calling to me and saying, take a look at this. This is standing between me and you. And for me to come and, and bring those things that, that I might not think are any big deal and bring them and surrender them to God so that I can be more fully conformed to the likeness of his son, that his nature would live within me. So I want to encourage you as we approach Ash Wednesday, we've got a couple of days uh, left to go. Take some time in prayer. Go sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament, take a journal, sit in silence and say, God, what is it in my life this, uh, this Lenten season that you want me not only to give up in terms, of, uh, in terms of a spiritual devotion or a discipline, but what is that thing, that sin that maybe I don't even see that you want to call me out of? that you want to call me uh, into a deeper relationship with you as I repent of that thing? Uh, what's that thing that I need to believe the gospel uh, in order to overcome? And so take some time and contemplate that and write it down and spend it in prayer. And then as we approach this Lenten season, remember that we're dust and to dust we shall return and repent and believe in the gospel. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for joining us each and every week. Today's show is brought to you by Christy Burmeister and all of those who support the show through Patreon, through their generous help, we are able to bring you this show. And if you join their numbers, you'll get extra content with them each and every week. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that support the show link and join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.